Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. There was something different about Esther because you know how it is. Sometimes people can be very beautiful on the outside. This goes for guys too, so I don't want the women to get mad at me when I say this. But, you know, you can be a, a handsome man on the outside but be very ugly on the inside. And for women, you can be very beautiful on the outside, but you can be very ugly on the inside. Esther was as beautiful on the outside as she was lovely on the inside. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Esther. Many of us are familiar with the old saying, you can't judge a book by its cover. Whether or not the cover is attractive, the content could end up being rather unappealing. In today's message, Pastor J.D. introduces us to Esther, who being beautiful on the outside was truly a beauty on the inside. In our study, we're reminded that no amount of external beauty can compensate for an ugly heart. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. and Esther chapter 2 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Verse 1. After these things... When the wrath of King Ahasuerus subsided, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what had been decreed against her. So the chapter begins with this familiar introduction of after these things. And whenever you see after these things, it's usually an indication that some period of time has passed. And it is believed that it's been about four years between chapter 1 and chapter 2. And a lot's actually happened during that time. Uh, We're told that by historians that King Ahasuerus, uh, during these four years, had uh, waged war against Greece, but suffered a massive defeat. It's also during this time that some suggest that the king may have had second thoughts after deposing Queen Vashti for her refusal to come at his command, which we learned about in chapter 1 last week. Verse 2, Then the king's servants who attended him said, Let beautiful young virgins be sought for the king. And verse 3, Let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom, that they may gather all the beautiful young virgins to Shushan, the citadel, into the women's quarters under the custody of Hegai, the king's eunuch, custodian of the women, and let beauty preparations be given them. Then let the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. So this Please the king, and he did so. Now, uh, as we get into this, I want to point out something that maybe isn't so visible at first read, and it has to do with what some say is, you know, this was like a beauty contest. So the king needs a queen, so what's he going to do? He's going to have this beauty pageant, and he's going to find the 
a replacement queen to replace Queen Vashti. That is not what is happening here. Uh, this is more like a plan to abduct women, taking them against their will, young women, uh, and these women's lives will never be the same again. So the king is going to basically, for lack of a better way of saying it, sleep with them, choose from them one queen, the rest of them will go into his harem, and they will never be able to be married. Uh, they will never have children. They will never have a family unless the king sees them again, and in some cases they will never be seen by the king again. Their lives are ruined as a result of this. This is a detail that's going to come into play as we're going to see. There's a lot of details in chapter 2 tonight, really the entire book. But this is, uh, again, what some historians uh, believe would have been an abduction of about 400 women that were taken against their will, and they were going to now be uh, this group of women that uh, the king would select his new uh, queen from. So we see the stage now being set. We talked a lot last week about the sovereignty of God and the providence of God. Unique to the book of Esther, among other things, is that the name of God is not present in the book. You don't see the name or the word Lord or the word God, but yet you see God's handprint throughout. And God is operating not in the realm of the supernatural by way of the miraculous. Rather, he's operating in the natural by way of providence. He is orchestrating everything behind the scenes. Everything is going perfectly according to plan. Verse 5. In Shushan, the citadel, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordechai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite. Kish had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captives. Remember now, Esther is a record taking place between Ezra chapter 6 and chapter 7, and it's a record of what happened to the Jews that remained in captivity, those who did not go under Zerubbabel, Ezra, or Nehemiah back to Jerusalem. They remained there, and Mordechai is one of them, and God's going to use this man uh, in a mighty, mighty way. So verse 6, Kish had been carried away, from Jerusalem with the captives who had been captured with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. So here we have now the introduction to Mordechai. We're going to be introduced to Esther uh, next in verse 7. But we're also told of his lineage, and this is important because this would make Mordechai the cousin of Esther. And as we're about to see, he is now going to uh, raise her as his own daughter, and she and he as her father. Again, I this is the providential sovereignty of God. God has this man for such a time as this, a phrase that we're going to become very familiar with and fond of throughout the book. This is the sovereignty of God. This is the providence of God. It would be a gross understatement 
to say that God is going to use this man in a mighty, mighty way. And he's going to use Esther, of course, in, I would argue, an even mightier way. Esther. And uh, by the way, uh, before we go any further, this will probably be as good of a time as any. And I'm really excited about this. And I have to confess that I resisted the temptation to get into this tonight because I knew if we did, we would be here till midnight and that's past my bedtime. It's probably past your bedtime too. Here's what we're in store for. Amazing typology. The pictures and the types that are in this book are so profound. They are so prophetic. We're going to see that I'm going to pick the right time, and I might weave it throughout as we go through the book, but uh, you probably already kind of pick up on some things that are happening here. You have uh, this uh, queen that is deposed, and then a Jewish queen will take her place as the bride. Very interesting. I Spoiler alert, (laughs) it is very interesting. It is very uh, fascinating, especially as it relates to eschatology and the Jews and the Gentiles and God's prophetic plan. I had uh, someone email me too, and I'm very grateful for our uh, online church because they're really good about sending me information, some of which I uh, know and I'm planning to talk about. But this one particular email I got is, uh, and I didn't have time to really get into it, but apparently there's an acrostic uh, woven into the fabric of the book of Esther that is actually the name Yahweh. We would know it as the Tetragrammaton, the Y-H-W-H, as an acrostic in the book of Esther. So in other words, (laughs) we may not see God or Lord in the book, but he is there and boy is he. So again, that's something that... Uh, I'm looking forward to getting uh, into in the very near future. Verse 7, this is where we get introduced to Esther. And Mordechai had brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman was, interesting, again, detail, lovely and beautiful. When her father and mother died, Mordechai took her as his own daughter. So, interesting, we have the given name of Esther. It was not Esther. They changed her name to Esther. We learned last week that the meaning of Esther is morning star, a specific morning star that shines brighter as all the other stars begin to fade and before the sun rises. But Hadassah was her given name, and Hadassah means Myrtle tree, and both again are going to be very significant. Notice this delineation in the narrative concerning this description of Esther being both lovely and beautiful. This is not a redundancy. There is a distinction that would suggest that she was as lovely on the inside as she was beautiful on the outside. We just kind of get a glimpse. And you got to know that because she's going to be one of those abducted, that she had to be beautiful because I'm sure when the king gave the command, he didn't, 
you know, give them the, the command to just grab any young woman. They had to, of course, be physically, outwardly very attractive. But there was something different about Esther because you know how it is. Sometimes people can be very beautiful on the outside. This goes for guys too. So I don't want the women to get mad at me when I say this. But, you know, you can be a, a handsome man on the outside, but be very ugly on the inside. And for women, you can be very beautiful on the outside, but you can be very ugly on the inside. Esther was as beautiful on the outside as she was lovely on the inside. Verse 8, so it was when the king's command and decree were heard and when many young women were gathered at Shushan, the citadel, under the custody of Haggai, that Esther also was taken to the king's palace into the care of Haggai, the custodian of the women. Now you have to understand that, I don't want to get into the details for obvious reasons, but these eunuchs were actually castrated specifically for the purpose of being able to be entrusted with the king's harem. So that's who this guy was. And that's what all of these eunuchs uh, were. This is where, and you'll forgive me for referencing historians, but Josephus uh, fills in a very uh, interesting detail uh, for us concerning uh, verse 8 as it relates to Mordechai, who is believed to have attempted to hide Esther so she would not be taken to the king. Now, why do I point out this uh, detail? Because it speaks to how God rules over all and overrules all of man's plans. In the Proverbs, it says that man can make his plans, but the Lord will ultimately determine the outcome. Uh, I've heard it said this way, man proposes God disposes. Now, you can't fault him. He has taken this young Esther to be as his own daughter. She's been orphaned, and he wants to naturally protect her. He knows what this is all about, and certainly he's caught word of what the plans of the king are in abducting these women, and he knows that Esther is very beautiful, and she will obviously be a candidate for queen. And so he tries to hide her and protect her. But God, those two words, which change everything, but God, God knows what he's doing. We might have the noblest of intentions. We might think that, hey, this is what is best, but God knows what is best. And I realize that might seem like a firm grasp of the obvious, but I heard one say it this way. If we knew what God knew, we would want for God to do what God wants to do. In other words, if we only knew what God knew, then we would not try to make our own plans. And even when we pray, God's going to answer our prayers in a way and give us our desires in a way that he knows, and he knows the end from the beginning. So he's going to answer our prayers and do it in the same way that we would want him to if we knew what he knew. 
So we pray, God, we, we try this. We, we don't want that. We're concerned about this. And <laughs> here's a sovereign, almighty God that just, I can imagine, you know, is, you know, shaking his head in pity, <laughs> saying, if you only knew, and if you could only see what I see, here you're praying this, you're, you're trying to do this, but if you only knew the end from the beginning, I know the end from the beginning, God is only going to do that which we would want Him to do if we knew what He knew. I hope that makes sense, that I'm not talking in circles. In other words, we, we, we say to God, God, this is what I want, but not what I will, what you will. No, Lord, not my will be done. Your will be done. Because I know your will is perfect. I know your way is best, like Isaiah says. His ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are beyond our ability to comprehend. In the finite, he's in the infinite. God is, as we talked about last week, he not only directs our steps, he directs our stops. And God will stop us, even though we might have the noblest of intentions, because God knows exactly what is the best for us. He's about to deliver his people. And he's going to use Esther. And here's Mordecai trying to hide her from this. Well, if it's not her, who? If it's not now, when? If it's not there, where? This is who God has called. I like how uh, someone said once, he said, the only thing that makes me wonder about God, the only thing that concerns me about God and worries me about God is his choice of me. That's the only thing that makes me scratch my head about God is that he would choose to use someone like me. That makes me question God. (laughs) Makes me question God's sovereignty. Makes me question God's wisdom and God's ways. Well, let's move on to verse 9. It gets very interesting here. Now, the young woman pleased him, and she obtained his favor, so, speaking of the, the, the eunuch, this Haggai, that she was uh, given into uh, his custody. So, he readily gave beauty preparations to her besides her allowance. And, it gets better even, <laughs> then seven choice maidservants were provided for her from the king's palace And he even moved her to the penthouse apartment. (laughs) Moved her and her maidservants to the best place in the house of the women. Wow. How about that? (laughs) Apparently, not only is this Esther very beautiful, there's something about her character that is very appealing. I would suggest that Esther was very humble. One of the most beautiful character qualities in anyone is humility. Humility is so attractive. I picture her as being so humble. Can you imagine these beautiful women that were taken and how conceited they must have been? You know how it is that Again, I don't want to get in trouble with the women. Men can do this too. They think they're all that. (laughs) 
and they become heady, and they become arrogant and cocky and proud. And here comes Esther, probably more beautiful than any of them. I would even venture to say more beautiful than all of them put together. And they take notice. And that's what happens when we possess this inward godliness, this inward beauty. It stands out. It stands out because it's so rare and it's so unique. And she finds such favor in the custodian's sight that he provides her with exceptional and additional treatment. This verse 8 to me is a much needed reminder of the paramount importance of having an inward godliness and a godly character in the sight of man. This is Proverbs chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. says, Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. There's another proverb, I don't recall exactly where it's at, but it basically says this. You see someone skilled in their work, they will stand before rulers and kings, not before obscure people. This should be named amongst all of us as Christians, especially in places like the workplace. Our work ethic, our character, our integrity should so stand out above and beyond anyone else because it's such a witness and a testimony to our Christian faith and profession of faith. Verse 10, Esther had not revealed her people or family, for Mordecai had charged her not to reveal it. Interesting. Now, you might almost come away with the impression that what Mordecai is having Esther do is in some way dishonest. This is not dishonesty. This is wisdom. And this is prudence. And this is, again, God's providence. Uh, She'll reveal (laughs) who she is, who her people are, but not yet. It's not time. The timing isn't right. God is going to present the perfect opportunity at the perfect time, and it will be for such a time as this. What an incredible life Esther led. Her courage and faith saved an entire nation from destruction and gives us an example to follow when life becomes a trial. In our own times of difficulty, do we turn to God or away from Him? Esther chose to seek God and we'll continue to see the results of that decision in the next edition of In Spirit and Truth. As you journey on your own path of faith, we want you to know that we're praying for you. We would like to ask if you, in turn, would intercede for us. Please pray that we keep our focus on advancing God's kingdom and that our hearts would always be open to God's leading. Please join us in praying for those who will tune in just like you to In Spirit and Truth. 
that they would be touched by their Creator and turn their lives toward Him. Thanks for joining us in this way. If you enjoyed today's message and want to hear more from Pastor J.D., find us online at inspiritandtruthradio.com and click Listen at the top of the page. We have a convenient way for you to stay connected. Did you know you can take in Spirit and Truth on the go by downloading our mobile app? In our fast-paced world, it's easy to let the time we spend in the Bible go to the back of the line compared to the things we need to get done each day. When you download our mobile app, you'll have verse-by-verse studies in the Bible available right at your fingertips, available to listen to whenever and wherever you go. You'll find a link to the app at inspiritandtruthradio.com. That's all we have time for today, but be sure to join us for another edition of In Spirit and Truth.